Industry, contact Wall Builders at 1-800-8-REBUILD. Hearing the word, answering the call, changing lives. The Way, 101.1. Current events. Personal values. Political and social issues. Technology. Wars and tensions. Join us for the next hour to discuss and learn how the things happening in our world today point to God's prophetic word as signs of the times. Israel is planning to go it alone against Iran. Turkey thinks Israel needs a lesson in deterrence. The world is doing the wave of anti-Semitism. The West Coast is desperate for water, and the Pentagon has lots of splaining to do. That's just some of what we'll cover in our weekly look at Bible prophecy in the world's news that we call the Signs of the Times for Friday, May 28th, 2021. Along with Mark Kirk, the senior pastor of Calvary Knoxville, I'm Greg Hilt, and thanks for joining us. To learn more about how to watch or listen, just download the Way Media app or visit thewaymedia.net and click on Signs of the Times. Today's show will also become podcast number 169 for those of you that subscribe through Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, Spotify, or Stitcher. We are back. <laughs> Yes, we've been gone a couple of weeks, right? Well, you were praying like two weeks. I'm thinking like, it feels like three weeks. Yeah. Well, this is the third show since then, but we've only been gone for a week. And well, just we missed a Friday and then we missed another Friday. I guess it's been... We've missed two shows, but yeah. we've been gone for three weeks, yes, I suppose. there you go. There you go. Either way, it's good to be back in <laughs> yeah. town, it's right? It's great to be well, back. Well, actually, I've always been in town. You were the one... That left. I was the one town. that left. That's right. And, and I and I do have a request because I thought about this today, right. especially when I was uh, putting that little uh, "Boys Are Back in Town" song together. Yes. Uh, that um, when we do have a new studio, I want it large enough so all the, the cameras can catch you actually riding in on your Harley <laughs> for the show yeah. into the studio. Yeah, I yeah. <laughs> I just think that would be yeah, and, the, and then us passing out from the exhaust. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, no, no, no. I, you're ecologically friendly. Mark, That's aren't right. you going to get one of those Harley, the, one That's of those right. electric Harleys? Yeah, this one doesn't doesn't give off any. No, I don't have that yet. I, I and, Until they get and, one, and they can no, only, And you will, never will. Well, I, I need something that rumbles and shakes and scares the squirrels when you drive by. I, I just can't. We can we can add sound in post-production. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I want, I want you know, it, it just, it's got to have noise and rumble and be shaky. It just, I just, nothing else satisfies. All I'm right. sorry. Okay. I'm sorry. That's, That's just right. how it is. That's all right. It's good to have you back. Anyway. Good to be back. Yes, absolutely. All right. Well, now this is our Truth in 10 segment of our program where Pastor Mark answers your question in 10 minutes or less. And this actually came to us, Pastor Mark, uh, the Friday that we left. Uh, and this is from Jay. And Jay listens to us in Via de Bravo, Mexico. And Jay says, I recently read that various newer translations of the Bible have left out some of the verses from the King James Version, and it caused me to have pause as to which Bible version should I be recommending to new believers and using for myself. Yeah, again, a great question, and I do want to take a moment to answer this because uh, I think it's something that needs to be explained and uh, something that needs to be understood. There are two major, I'll call them translation groups that are out there. Uh, where we get all of our Bible translations from. We have what is called the Textus Receptus, which is uh, written in Latin. It just means the received text. And then we have what is called the um, the Westcott and Hort were kind of the two major scholars that led the, the, the newer translations. But really it comes from what's called the Alexandrian text. You have the Alexandrian text and you have the uh, Textus Receptus. And of course tied to the Alexandrian text is Westcott and Hort, the two major scholars that pressed the Alexandrian text and have pushed that one, and that's where a lot of our modern translations come from. Now, let's give some history and background. 
The Textus Receptus is the main body of all documents that we have for the New Testament. Um, it comes out of uh, the region of Antioch, which is where the early church really uh, kind of was almost a headquarters for the early church. Of course, you had Jerusalem as far as the church, you know, headquarters from where the apostles were, etc. But as far as the church itself, Antioch was kind of one of the main centralized locations where the church established itself there in the Middle East. Um, and that's, you know, closer to Israel. That's up in the above Israel, you know, so, uh, north of Israel, the Antioch region up in there. And that's where about 94% of all of our biblical uh, documents come from in the New Testament. Um, the other group that, and that's used for translations such as King James, New King James, and, and other translations. The other group that we use or get modern translations from came from Alexandria down in Egypt. And um, there's about 6% of the total documents we have for the Bible, a New Testament down from the Alexandrian. Now, um, which really should just on the surface, let you know that the most reliable body of textual um, uh, writings that we have are going to come from the Antioch region, the 94%. The 6%, for whatever the reason, Westcott and Hort, these scholars, really push that that would be the ones we should get all of our Bibles from, leave out the other 94%, let's go just for the 6% of translations that we have, and you came up with the NIV and a lot of the different new translations that you have. And, and I should, let me back up on that. Not even or translations. That's a transliteration, right? That's right. A transliteration. Yeah. Let me give the definition here. Translation is word for word from the ancient text into English transliteration isn't concerned about the words transliteration is concerned about thought for thought what is the thought that was coming across now it's interesting when jesus quoted the bible he always quoted it word for word he never used a thought for thought every time he quoted the bible it was literal and it was word for word as a matter of fact when he's battling satan in the wilderness he says it is written uh, every word of god you know is 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 what man lives on the word there is the word grapho. It's the word that means literally the word, the actual word itself, every word. He emphasized the fact that every single written word by God is important and what we're to be focused on, not the thoughts that God had. And there's nothing wrong in thoughts, but it's the word of God that we're to be focused on. So the bottom line is, um, when you have the newer translations, they take the West Cotton Hort's version, the Alexandrian text, 6% documents down from Egypt, which is interesting because Egypt itself in Scripture is a type of the world. There should be a little bit of a warning there, I think, from the Holy Spirit. But they've used a lot of these newer translations. And the problem is because they use only that 6%, when you read some of these translations, Jay, where uh, things are left out is they don't have the full body of documents. As a matter of fact, they only have 6%. Of the total documents we have in the New Testament, which doesn't surprise me that things would be left out because they don't have the full uh, full scripture. In addition to that, um, you know, it's really a whole different mindset in that particular. It's more of a liberal version of of the scriptures, a liberal mindset from Westcott and Hort. And so they try to actually, when they write it, Greg, they even remove some of the references to deity in Jesus Christ. They try to remove some of the things such as the virgin birth. And so I see a real, personally, I see a real attempt by the enemy to use the Alexandrian uh, texts, if you will, for the newer translations to take things out of the word of God and to weaken and water down the word of God. My suggestion is only go with versions that have the 94% of everything we have from the New Testament. That is the Textus Receptus, which, of course, is the King James, New King James, and some of these translations that are word for word, yeah. and they come from that Textus Receptus. Now, you may say, how do I know that? Look it up online. If there's a Bible you like, say, is this what is the translation body this comes from? Is it from Textus Receptus or the Alexandrian? And you can probably find that from Googling. Don't go with the Alexandrian. Go with the Textus Receptus. You're going to get a better translation. Now, and also want to add to this, um, King James, a lot of people make a big deal about the King James, and I think the King James is one of the best translations in the world. It truly is. I think it's one of the most accurate. But it's not even so much about the King James, because a lot of people get really upset if you don't use the King James and, you know, I'm King James only and this kind of thing. There's movements, you know, that do that. Yeah, yeah. But I and I say this, um, you know, kind of tongue in cheek, but it makes the point. King James is too modern, really. It's too new. It's too new. It came around yeah. the 1600s. And the documents, if you go back and study the ancient documents from Antioch, the Textus Receptus, these things go all the way back to the first 
century. So when people say, well, your Bible translation is too new, you need to use the King James, you can jokingly, tongue-in-cheek, say, well, actually, your version of New King James is too new. You need to go back farther than that. I'm not saying the King James is not good. I think the King James is the best. I think it's the best translation that we have. That's my personal opinion from the study that I've done. I think it's the most accurate overall, and it is the best. But I don't stand in the camp that says that's the only one you should use. What I would say is go to the Textus Receptus, which is where the King James comes from, because that goes all the way back to the first century, and that's where the largest body of all of our documents, where we get our translations from, uh, come from. I would also encourage you to go with a translation. Uh, nothing wrong with a transliteration, but understand when you have a transliteration or a thought for thought like the NIV, etc., you don't actually have the true word of God. You've got the true thought of God as man translated it. And I would rather go with the word of God as God wrote it. Would you also put in this book has uh, been popular in our modern times, and that is the book that was written by Eugene Peterson called The Message. Yeah. Would you say that the message is on par with the NIV in terms of being in the category of a transliteration? Or is the message even more liberal than the NIV is in terms of its thought-for-thought approach? Yeah, no, the the message makes NIV look conservative. Um, And I'm not saying that, first of all, let let me make clear, I'm not saying if you're using the NIV, you're in sin, and you can't learn from an NIV. What I'm saying is you're not really getting the word of God word for word. You're getting thought for thought as the editors put it together. And I personally want word for word. What did God say? I don't want what these editors gave me a thought that God said. I want God's word. Mm -hmm. And the NIV is not that. Um, but the message, yes, is even, the message is way more liberal than NIV. I, I'm, and, and again, Greg, I would say the message, I would even go so far to say the message is heretical in many areas. It's actually blasphemous in certain areas. And the bad thing about some of these newer translations is they, they try to again remove the deity of Christ. You'll see it rather than, uh, referring to his deity, they'll, they'll change the wording some other way because they can say what they want. It's thought for thought, not word for word. Or when they talk about the virgin birth, I'll give you one example. You'll see this in the NIV as well as some of the other newer translations that come from that 6% Alexandrian text rather than the 94% Textus Receptus. And they'll say things like, well, a young maiden, here's the prophecy, a young maiden will have a child and this will be a sign to you. Well, that's no sign. Let me explain something. The word that's used for virgin means two things, virgin and can mean young maiden. Okay, it can mean that. So let's agree on that. The problem is when he says, I will give you a sign, and you translate it young maiden rather than virgin, you say a young maiden will give birth. How is that a sign? That's called biology. There's no sign whatsoever. That's very normal. That's not supernatural. It's just a woman having a baby. So it takes away from the power of the supernatural Holy Spirit and the virgin birth. But when you use the other translation, which is very clearly the one, because the New Testament defines it as a supernatural divine event by the Holy Spirit, then the way it should be translated, word for word, is a virgin will give birth to a child. This will be a sign to you. So it can't be a sign if it's a young maiden. It has to be a virgin to be a sign because it's supernatural. There's no sign involved. So my my the problem I have with some of the newer translations that come from the Alexandrian text, I think I've made clear, but I'll reemphasize. Yeah, they take away from the deity of Christ. They take away a lot of the miracles, and and um and because they're only doing thought for thought, they can do that and scholarly claim that they're staying within the bounds of what is acceptable. But to me, you don't mess with God's word. God's word is God's word. I think we should take it word for word the way Jesus did. We we, we don't mess with it. And the, the Texas Receptus versions of the Bible, the true translations and not transliterations, are the best way to go if you really want to know what does the word of God say. Uh Jay, we certainly help, hope that that answers your question, uh, and it was certainly informative for a lot of people, because a lot of people don't think about that when they go and they shop for a Bible. Most of the time, people are looking for a Bible that, as they read it, that in the English that they're reading, it makes the most sense to them. It makes a connection to yeah, them, yeah. which is why the NIV had, has been so popular yeah. because of the style of English that it's written in. And Greg, let me add something to that, because that's yeah. a good point. I, yeah. Again, I don't want to sit here and say that if you're reading the NIV, you're in sin and it's demonic or something. I don't want to give that impression. Right. I think the NIV, especially for a new believer, can be very helpful. I think about like for a children's Bible example. Yes. When you read a children's Bible, that's not word for word. That's little stories. Hey, look, here's Adam and Eve in the garden, and they're going to eat the no-no fruit. I remember that from my little girl. <laughs> well, you can't go, well, that's not really the bible so this is demonic i'm not saying that 
when I was when I first got saved, the first Bible that was placed in my hand was the NIV. And it was easy to read because it was in modern language. It was very simple. It was thought for thought. And I, I grew and I learned and I began to understand the Lord and the concepts of the Bible. But as I grew, I went beyond milk, if you will. I wanted mm-hmm. the actual meat of the Word of God. Okay, this is nice. This is a good introduction. But what does God's Word really say word for word, not thought for thought, that some editor put down for me? So I switched over to the Textus Receptus versions, King James, New King James, etc. And I use the New King James. They both come from the Textus Receptus. But I use it because it has a easier reading uh, style. It's not the these and thous. And um and I and again that's where I began to really go deeper and and really understand God's word in a deeper way. So I want to make sure nobody misunderstands me. I'm not uh, calling you know the these things uh, demonic or you're you know going to go to hell if you're reading the NIV or something. I'm simply saying, you know, once you start growing in the Lord, if you really want to know the word of God for what He said in a deeper way, I think maturity would kind of move you into the actual word for word from the ancient documents, right? Which are, is the Textus Receptus version of this whole side. Well, let's take it one step further, because I think this is important for people to understand, and, and we'll dive into pastoral things in terms of prepping for teachings and looking at hermeneutics and an and exegetical approach to Bible study, which is going in line by line, verse by verse, and going into each word. You've got to be able to get back to the original Greek and the Hebrew. If you're, you can't do that from a transliteration. You can't. You, you've got to do that from a translation whose English words are rooted back to the original Greek, the original Hebrew, right. so you can get the full import. And I always use the example when Jesus said to ask, to seek, and to knock. In the Greek, it's written in the form of ask and keep asking, right. seek and keep seeking, knock and keep knocking. Right. In other words, persevere. Don't just give up. Keep after it. Right. And if you don't get the full import of that right. through a Bible study or through your own word study or through uh, you know listening to a pastor, you're, you're missing the complete message, but you don't even have a shot at getting the complete message unless you're starting with a yeah. translation that roots you back to the original Greek and Hebrew. Yeah, you can't go deep enough. Another great example of that, Greg, is the three times that Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? Yeah. And that, to me, is one of the classic ones, yeah. because if you just read the NIV... Uh, and you don't do word studies. Now, if you just read the New King James, it'll just say, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Those three times. But you can't go back and do deep word studies and look words up in the NIV because, again, these are they aren't the original words from the text that God gave. They're the thoughts as the editor wrote them down. But when you go back to the original text and look the words up, of uh, the actual Hebrew in the Old Testament or the Greek in the New, for example, the three words that Jesus used when he was restoring Peter after he resurrected, he said, Peter, do you agape me and again the word love there in the greek there's multiple words for the word love in the greek and they all have some different meaning agape is that self-sacrificing i'm putting you before myself love and he asked peter do you because peter said remember lord i that though they may deny you i won't i love you more than the rest of them and he said, oh do you love me more than these you know then you're going to deny me three times and he did so he Denied him three times. He restored him three times, but he asked him, okay, Peter, do you agape me? And that would come from looking that word up for word for word, you know, from the Texas Receptus. And he, and Peter, you know, very grieved. Lord, you know that I phileo you. Different word that Peter used. And Peter says love all three times. That is love you like a brother. It's the, it's the word love where we get like Philadelphia, a city of brotherly love. And so, you know, the Lord, do you love me self-sacrificingly, Peter, above everything else? And Peter has to admit now, no, Lord, you know that I don't. I love you like a friend. And then the second time, Peter, do you agape me? Do you love me self-love? Love me more than yourself? No, Lord, you know that I love you phileo like a friend. Says it twice, you know, and he's grieved, no doubt. Then the Lord says, all right, Peter. And the last time the Lord uses a different word for love. Peter, do you phileo me? Do you love me like a brother? Okay, now we both agree. And, and he says, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. It's like, why? But Peter had to know why he was doing it. You know, he had to figure it out three times. I denied him three times. Yeah. Now we're, now he just made Peter admit, basically, that I love you not like I should. I don't love you like I should. But at least we both are in agreement of the type of love that I have. And now I know where I need to grow to. Yeah. So let's just settle that. And so, yeah. again, you would not find that because you can't do word studies in the NIV because yeah. it's thoughts and it's not the actual words. So, again, you want to have real Bible study and go deep and become a student in the Word. You need to make the shift over to the version, the versions that come from the Texas Receptus, the 94%, and are the more accurate and the more full, and they don't take away from you know, the deity or the miracles. 
and they're they're really more of what I would call the, the purely legitimate scriptures. Right. Well, if you've got a question like Jay, we invite you to visit thewaymedia.net or download the Way Media app, navigate yourself to Signs of the Times, and you'll find a place where you can ask your prophecy question. And we also have a frequently asked questions section where um, you might already have the answer to the question. You can look it up right there. So we invite you to do that. Okay, uh, prophecy fans, uh, I got hammered the Friday we were gone, and since then, where's Pastor Mark? What's happening? The, the rapture might happen any moment because of everything happening in Israel. You you left just as the yeah. bombs were flailing. Yeah. And you know what it reminded yeah. me of? It reminded me of when, when, when the disciples and Jesus were on the boat. And the water stirred, and they thought they were going to capsize and drown. And Jesus is back there sleeping. It's like, Pastor Mark, he's on vacation. It's going to be okay. He'll be, he'll be, he'll be back. So I know they've been chomping at the bit for the last twenty minutes that we've been on the air here yeah. uh, to talk about let's Israel. Do. So let's do that. We'll we'll, we'll launch and, off. Well, hang yeah, on, go ahead. Even, sure. even, you know, but Greg, before this article, let, yeah. let me give him a moment. Might even take the rest. We'll see. Okay. Let me explain how this works. That cycle because I shared okay, it with yeah. our body. Oh, that's a good idea. And I think that's important. We'll do that, and then we'll get the articles and. Half. Yes, I think it's important for our listeners to know how this process yeah. works. Now, again, this is pretty consistent. It doesn't always work this way. But when you see these flare-ups in Israel, I want you as our listeners to understand typically how this works. First of all, we know it's spiritual. We also know it's a hatred of Israel. We also know it's an ancient hatred of Israel. It goes all the way back to Isaac and Ishmael and the fight that they had. That's where it really began. It's a family feud. And uh, then it turned into a, a spiritual feud, and then now it's just, you know, it's grown from there into kind of multifaceted. But here's how these things typically work. What will happen is Iran is really the one doing these things. They, they're the ones supplying all the rockets. And I've watched this now for 30 years. It's kind of the same pattern. What they do is, is they will stockpile Gaza and Syria and Lebanon, the surrounding peoples that hate Israel around them. They'll stockpile them with missiles. They, they, Israel catches a lot of them. You'll hear of occasional boats being blown up or warehouses being blown up or different things. But they get a lot of missiles through because they send piles of missiles, which, by the way, is crazy for America to be giving any money to Iran like we're doing. Because when we give them money, they simply take that money and they make bombs and they send the bombs to Israel's enemies and fire them on Israel. So we are, in essence, funding the bombing of Israel in many ways. And we're guilty before God for that as a nation. We need to repent and stop giving money to Iran. Uh, but now with that said, what Iran does, they get our money and other people's money and their own money, and they build all these rockets. They fill these stockpiles up uh, all around Israel. And then when the time is right, they start lobbing all these bombs. And again, these missiles. Last time, over 4,000 here just a couple of weeks ago. And so what Israel will do is, Israel again has the Iron Dome system where they help to block uh, the majority, 90-some percent of these bombs that come in, these missiles that come in, which is still horrifying. You've always got these sirens going and bombs blowing up, and some get through, and it's, it's, it'd be a horrible way to live. But the reality is they can protect themselves for the most part uh, from the attack coming in, but who wants to live that way and the cost that goes with that? And then they'll use up the majority of their stockpile, firing all these missiles at them. Israel goes in, blows up. When they see the missiles coming up, they'll go and blow up all the launching pads. They'll try to find it. They know where a lot of the stockpiles are from spies that are located in different regions. And so they blow all these things up. And and then what will happen is, again, there's a cycle. These things last anywhere from about two weeks to a couple of months, usually. If they have to go into Gaza, which happens on rare occasion, it may go three or four months. If they don't have to use land troops, it's usually done by a month or two. A lot of times, two weeks. This time was a week and a half. It didn't take that long. And you hear from people saying, call for a ceasefire, call for a ceasefire, because what happens is Hamas bless, shoots all these rockets. Then they start getting pounded, and they realize, okay, we're getting pounded. That's enough. Ceasefire. Israel goes, no, we're not going to. We're going to continue until we knock out all of your stockpiles of weapons. And that's very smart. They take the advantage to knock out all the stockpiles. And when all the stockpiles are knocked out, they'll, Israel will come out and say, okay, now we'll have a ceasefire because now we've taken out what we wanted to take out and, uh, and we did the damage with, that we you know, wanted to do. And, of course, there are some civilian casualties in Gaza and other places because they put these stockpiles around children. They put them around schools. They put them around uh, neighborhoods. And, again, I was looking at a map this morning. I think a, a huge portion, Greg, you couldn't believe it, a huge portion of the rockets shot out of Gaza didn't even make it out of Gaza. They come up and they come down on their own people. That whole border of Gaza, they bombed their own go- their own border and just wiped out large areas by their own, you know, rockets that don't have the uh, the ability to hit their target. Or is that because of Iron Dome? 
No, no, no. Our okay. gnome blows them up. Okay. They, if they okay. come into Israel, they get blown up. No, okay. this is them. This is misfires. Wow. And the, you ought to see the map. They showed green of all the places that they blew up themselves from their own rockets, and you can trace them by satellites. You see it's them doing it. Now, so uh, what happens is Israel let, lets them reveal where they are. Israel goes in and blows them up. Israel doesn't stop and doesn't give a ceasefire until they've blown up all those stockpiles. And now the process begins all over again of us giving money to Iran, Iran making more rockets, Iran sends the rockets back to Gaza, and the whole process starts all over. And it's not just us giving rockets, it's others as well. But the bottom line is... Or the money for the rockets. Yeah, yeah. yeah, They build... Yeah, the money. But they build their stockpiles back up, and then it'll be time to attack again. Now, here's the thing. With each of these attacks, they get a little bit more sophisticated. Although they did blow a lot of them up on themselves... The ones that got through were farther. They reached farther into Israel. Some of them were more accurate. And one of the things that Israel said they noticed is that they were much more powerful than the rockets of the past. So they're getting larger payloads in them, which means the ones that get through do greater damage. But Israel knows how they operate. God gives Israel great wisdom. Uh, it was interesting. One story I'll share before we run out of time. So that's how it works. It's a repeating cycle. You'll see it happen. It's over within two weeks, a couple of months. Um, you know, usually, and then Israel goes right back to normal. I would say we we have an Israel trip planned in October. My guess is it'll be wide open for tourism. There won't be any issues at all. That's how quick these things happen. So it's a, you'll see this every so many years. It keeps recurring over and over and over. And then they re, replenish. Israel blows it up. They replenish this kind of thing. Anyway, but this is so interesting. They have spies in Gaza and everywhere watching the way they operate. And what happens is. The last time when Israel said we're coming in on a ground uh, offensive into Gaza, they had to go in to clear out some areas. You remember, I forget what year that was, maybe 2014. It wasn't that long ago. And the world's pitching a fit. How dare you go in, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, they have yeah. to to stop them. Exactly. Well, yeah. then the, the major Hamas figures all go underground. They have these underground tunnels. And they all go underground in these tunnels while Israel's there wiping everything out. Then when Israel's gone, they come back out, and they, there they are to rebuild again. So Israel lied to the press. And they told them, okay, we're going in today. We have to go in on a ground offensive. We have no option. We didn't we didn't want to go into Gaza, but the only way we can stop these. So we're going in on a ground offensive. They told the press that. The press exploded everywhere into, into Gaza. And they're going in on a ground offensive. Everybody get ready. They're going on a ground offensive. So then all of the Hamas leaders went to an underground bunker that Israel knew about. Mm. Israel gave them 35 minutes to get there. Then Israel bombed that bunker and killed all. Massive amounts of Hamas terrorists in 35 minutes. They never went out on a ground offensive, and they said, you know what? We changed our mind. We don't need to go in. Wow. These guys are sharp. Yeah. They know what they're doing. They know how the enemy operates. God gives them wisdom. God said, I'm bringing them back in the land. Nobody will take them out of the land. I'm going to protect them in the land. And it's just, they think they're, they think it's them. That's the problem. There's pride. This isn't them. This is God. And God's given them wisdom. I agree. Let's talk about, for the time that we have left, if if we can, some some key markers from Ezekiel for people to look for. Because every time this flares up, then we get calls thinking the rapture is going to happen or Ezekiel is going to happen. What does Ezekiel tell us has to be in place for the prophecy to be fulfilled? Yeah, yeah, and all the all the players are in place, but here's the difference. You'll see this cycle over and over. They build the rockets up, they shoot the rockets, Israel takes them out. They build the rockets up, etc. Same thing, every few years, and it's over quickly. Here's what you're watching for, prophecy students. You're watching for something to pull Russia in. And if you see something from one of these flare-ups that pulls in Russia... Man, it's on the doorstep. It doesn't necessarily mean it has to be this time. You know, you could rush to get involved and back out. But here's what's going to happen. Russia will be involved when that final invasion takes place where God's going to come in and protect Israel in, massive, uh, in a massive way, Ezekiel 38 and 39. So be watching for Russia. If Russia doesn't get involved, don't get overly excited. Just pray for Israel. Well, and not just, not just Russia, but the coalition force of Ezekiel that it mentions. So yeah. the other countries you know showing that they're actively involved there on the border right with them yeah, if you were to getting see ready something to come in, yes if you were to see where libya's getting stirred up and, yeah. and sudan's getting stirred up and turkey yeah. and russia and iran those are the five players really yeah. really be watching those but Russia's going to be the major uh, kingpin in this greg because they have the greatest military power well you talked about turkey pastor mark and we are going to talk about turkey in the second half because they are a huge catalyst right now in pushing for what ezekiel 38 and 39 is talking about let's talk and turkey. we'll talk about we'll talk turkey <laughs> when signs the times returns it's good to be back in town isn't it? <laughs> 
WIAMLP. 101.1 FM, Knoxville. It's easy to be careful with your finances when money is tight. Hi, this is Chuck Bentley with My Money Life from Crown Financial Ministries. Today, Crown's founder, the late Larry Burkett, reminds us that good stewards are just as careful with an abundance. I have a good friend who lives out west. He was listed as the sixth wealthiest man in the world. He said there's three prerequisites, by the way, to being wealthy in our country. Number one, you've got to have a very good education. Number two, you've got to be very, very sharp in business. Number three, you've got to inherit a lot of money. He inherited a lot of money. But he's a very disciplined person with his money. He's got a nice home. By the way, this guy could buy anything he wanted. I mean, he can buy a castle and moats and sharks and, you know, I mean, whatever he wants, he can buy. He doesn't, purposely. He's got a nice home, drives a nice car, but not a $100,000 car even. It wears a nice suit, but not a $1,000 suit either. He was thinking about buying another automobile. Happened at the time I was driving an Oldsmobile, and he'd come to visit me, and I'd loaned him my car for a day, and he liked it. He called me back asking me whether he thought it was better if he bought a one-year-old car or a brand-new car, which would be the better of the two buys. And I said, wait, 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 put it in perspective. That's like me spending a day worrying about whether I should buy a McDonald's or a Wendy's, you see. I mean, it's about the same level of decision for you. Why would you even bother with it? He said, well, number one, because this money doesn't belong to me. It belongs to God. I'm going to be accountable to God for every dime of how I spend it. And God is allowing me to spend some of it for myself, and therefore I want to get the best value of the money that I have. If you've been helped by Crown or this radio station, I want to ask you to support us. We work to help others. And your gifts make that possible. And if you already give, thank you for your generosity. You can begin giving today online at crown.org. That's crown.org. A Moment of Grace with Ed Taylor. Often we come to God with the why questions, the what questions, when the real question needs to be who. Who is your Savior? Who is God to you? Who is God? Are you worshiping the God that parted the Red Sea? Do you worship the God that sent His only begotten Son to suffer sinlessly, needlessly for you as a sacrifice? How big is your God? Is your God limited by your own mind? Is your God limited by your own explanations, your own plans? The real question to ask in tough times is who? You can learn more at edtaylor.org. Grow deeper in your love relationship with Jesus by visiting edtaylor.org. This has been A Moment of Grace with Ed Taylor. Signs of the Times now continues. Here again is your host. Welcome back, everyone, to the second half of our weekly look at Bible prophecy in the world's news that we call the Signs of the Times. Today is Friday, May 28th, 2021, but you could be listening to episode 169 anytime by going to thewaymedia.net. You can listen right from our website, download the app, or subscribe through any of the sources that we provide to you on our website so you can play it in your favorite MP3 podcast type of player. All right, so let's get into uh, Israel articles, uh, which is only just really one, and that's really, yes. Let me make a quick correction okay. here, because no, yeah. somebody uh, actually got a, a, a correction here, something I want to make that between uh, the show break there or whatever, of transliteration and thought for thought. I think the trans, oh. yeah, transliteration, again, uh, the thought for thought are more of just kind of the, again, those the message, the thought for thought, whatever one. But there is a difference in actually transliteration technically in that it is where you try to take a word uh, that we don't have and you try to replace it with something that will actually mean that word, but you don't have that word. So it's not purely a thought for thought. And I'll get a better definition of that for us for next week because I want to look at that more. But there is a difference there between transliteration and thought for thought that needs to make a, a there's a, a difference there I need to make and we'll look at it more in detail next week. But the idea behind the two points I was making today is is that if you want the literal words that are used, you have to go with the Textus Receptus to get that. The newer transliterations will either transliterate or they will use thought for thought and we'll talk more about the nuance next week. Yeah. Okay. Uh so follow up to all of the Israel bombing stuff in Iran. Yes. Uh, we know Iran is the major catalyst 
in terms of making Ezekiel happen because they're religiously yeah. motivated yeah. Uh, based on what Islam is saying in terms of what they're supposed to do with the Jews. Yeah. And so that fervor will continue until Ezekiel is fulfilled. Right. And more and more countries are turning their back on Israel. And this is just one further proof of that. And this is from jpost.com that Israel is going to act to counter the Iranian nuclear threat without the U.S., says Benjamin Netanyahu. And yeah. we would hope that Israel would do what they're going to need to do to yeah. defend themselves regardless. Yeah, the bottom line is if we have to go it alone, we will. Will. With or without agreement, we will do everything to prevent Iran from arming itself with a nuclear weapon because that is our existence. What Prime Minister Netanyahu is saying is, if we have to go bomb them on our own, we will go bomb them on our own. Listen to what it says. Israel may act on its own to counter Iranian nuclear threats. Prime Minister Netanyahu warned on Monday night. A U.S. Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken, headed to the region. Blinken's Tuesday visit to Israel comes just before a fifth round of indirect negotiations between the U.S. and Iran to return to the 2015 Iran deal on Thursday. U.S. Special Envoy for Iran, uh, I'm sorry, yes, for Iran, Robert Malley, uh, for Iran, Robert Malley, said of the negotiations, and I quote, the latest round of talks uh, was constructive and saw meaningful progress, but much work still needs to be done. However, Netanyahu stated, and I quote, ensuring that the Ayatollahs will not stop the thousands of years of existence of the Jewish people will require us to make courageous and independent decisions. With or without an agreement, we will do everything to prevent Iran from arming itself with a nuclear weapon. Again, here's the bottom line. America now is backing off on Israel. They're saying, we're not going to help you. We're going to let Iran develop this weapon. We've already been helping Iran foolishly. We're blindly helping the enemies of God. And Israel saying, you know what? Okay, America, we've looked to you to help us, but when you don't help us, we will help ourselves. It kind of goes back to the whole thing about, you know, a weapon in the home. If the police can't get there and somebody's coming in to kill your family, you're going to take action before the police get there. So Netanyahu is saying, look, uh, if America's not going to show up with the blue lights on and help us, then we're going to have to pull out our own defense weapons and take care of this, and that means we may attack Iran. Pretty serious, direct, mm -hmm. world yeah. get ready. If we have to, we're going to. And so interesting to watch because that, of course, would inflame Iran and could be the kind of catalyst to get this whole process going with this invasion from Ezekiel 38 and 39. Which is the perfect segue yes. to Ezekiel 38 and yes. 39. Okay, our first article, Pastor Mark, comes from foxnews.com with a report saying that uh, Turkish uh, President Erdogan is telling Vladimir Putin that Israel needs a deterrent lesson. It sounds like he's saying, we need to take yeah. Israel be behind the woodshed. Yeah, it's what we call in the South attitude adjustment. Yeah, an attitude adjustment, <laughs> yes. Or a, or a Walmart whooping. Yes, yeah. He says the Israeli forces and Palestinian militants continue to engage in the largest conflict between the two groups uh, since the war in 2014. And the Turkish president has told the president of Russia, which is interesting to see those guys interacting, knowing they're a part of these main ones that will be leading this at attack against Israel, that they need this strong deterrent lesson. The Turkish presidential communications directorate said the two leaders talked by phone Wednesday about the conflict. Erdogan uh, emphasized the need for the international community to give Israel a strong and deterrent lesson and called on the UN Security Council to step in with determined, a determined and clear message to Israel. He also suggested to Putin that an international protection force should be consistent or considered to shield the Palestinians. Now, this is interesting because not only is he saying we need to go and teach them a lesson, he's saying it to Russia, and of course his intent is get Russia involved, and we know they will be involved at some point, so you can see the stirring of getting Russia's attention and getting them going on this already. Now, remember, when Russia gets going on this, they're going to be pulled in like a hook in the jaw. But if everything is in place for that, it's going to be a lot easier to yank them in whenever the, the fish takes the bait, so to speak. And so, again, just further laying the groundwork for this invasion that's soon coming. Yeah. Uh, Israel Today, uh, the website, is reporting that Turkish President Erdogan, again, we talked about Turkey being a, a, a real motivator here or a, a, a rising player in, uh, in Ezekiel's uh, prophecy, He's coming out and saying that all of humanity should be united against Israel, yeah. to which we say... Well, isn't that special? Yeah, yeah. This is exactly, Greg, what the Bible says will happen. Again, Zechariah 12.3 says this, On that day, the day that all this happens, where God's going to bring these enemies against Israel, I will make Jerusalem a heavy stone for all peoples. Notice, for all peoples. 
All who lift it will surely hurt themselves, and all the nations of the earth will gather against it. So the Bible predicts that everyone will eventually turn against Israel, although that's not the case yet. So when you hear this type of statement coming out of Turkey or anywhere else, it is exactly in line with what the Bible says will happen in the last days. Let me read some of the article. Many turn to the Bible after Islamist leader urges Christian leaders to help unite the world against Israel. Um, in a statement to, that set off prophetic alarm bells for many Christians and Jews, the Turkish president, Erdogan, he's in the news a lot, obviously, urged Pope Francis to join him in coming against Israel. So well, that's a good partner. Yeah, think about it. Again, I don't know how well he would. Anyway, anyway, Erdogan fancies himself the leader of the Sunni Muslim world and sees the pope as the primary head of Christianity. In his, in his eyes, they must come together to lead the rest of the world in confronting the Jewish menace. And I quote again, as you already started the article with, all of humanity should be united against Israel, Erdogan told the Pope over the phone. The Turkish leader's phrasing again is exactly what it says in Zechariah 12.3. So it's interesting when you see them basically quoting or are encouraging exactly what the Bible says is going to happen. It shouldn't surprise us, but wow, are we watching it take place. Well, you said something in the article that uh, got me to thinking. Did he? Did the article say that Erdogan fancies himself? Fancies himself the leader of the Sunni Muslim world. How interesting is that? Yeah. Because here, just until recently, the whole world looked at Saudi Arabia yeah. as the leader. With Mecca being the, there. With Mecca yeah, being yeah. there is the leadership for the Sunni Muslim fact. Yeah. Uh, or the Sunni fact or faction of whatever yes. of the Muslim religion of yeah. Islam. Yeah. And now because we've seen story after story over the last year or so where Saudi Arabia is taking more of a Switzerland approach yeah. towards Israel. Yeah. That Erdogan is from a religious standpoint grabbing that baton and running with it. Yeah. For those Sunnis that believe as the Shiites do. Yeah. That yeah. Israel needs to be taken care of. I just think that's very interesting because we've never heard that before. No, and again, you've, recently, of course, Erdogan has been—he's been pushing himself to the forefront. He's yeah. been wanting—he wants to lead the entire Muslim world in that region. He's—he has a very high aspiration to be the main guy over everything. Yeah. So it's interesting to see wow. uh, him pushing it. Yeah, yeah. And why can't we be friends? I mean, really, <laughs> this COVID craziness. Uh, this is from foxnews.com, Pastor Mark, and of course, this is expected, you know, and again, you talked about the cycle, the, the you know, the, the, uh, they, they launch missiles from Gaza or, or Hebron or wherever and into Israel, but then the news is silent on it and they only turn, the only cameras only turn on when Israel is responding to the unprovoked attacks yeah. to make Israel look like the aggressor, then the world blindly wants to, you know, come against Israel. So here from foxnews.com, the U.S. is seeing a wave of, quote-unquote, textbook anti-Semitism amid the Israel-Gaza tensions. Yeah, yeah, again, um, you know, it is textbook anti-Semitism. And it's amazing to me, Greg, as I watch this happen, and I have to calm down before I read some of the article. <laughs> as I watch this happen, it truly is repeating in the same pattern as World War II. Yes. When I watch what's happening, I'm going, doesn't everyone recognize the same exact pattern? We're only just like 70 to 80 years away, and it's happening again. Uh, the conflict between Israel and Gaza has generated a, a disturbing backlash against American Jews. From New York and California to Illinois and Utah, the recent conflict between Israel and Gaza has generated a disturbing backlash against the American Jews who have found themselves targets of death threats, hate speech, and violent physical attacks. And I quote, stop telling me this is about Israel and Gaza, said the New Yorker who, confront, who was confronted by a pro-Palestinian mob on his way to synagogue this week. My people, the Jews, are being targeted across the United States in broad daylight. This is textbook anti-Semitism and will continue to live in danger until the public starts to recognize it for what it is. In New York, again, there's multiple. I'm reading just a few. 
of what's happened here recently. Troubling footage emerged late Thursday showing pro-Israel and pro-Palestinian protesters clashing on a midtown Manhattan sidewalk despite Israel and Gaza having reached a ceasefire agreement earlier. Uh, again, fireworks thrown from a car, one person suffering minor burns, but others being attacked openly. In New Jersey, Inglewood family was confronted by a pro-Palestinian demonstrator on their way home from a synagogue on Sunday with their children ages 9, 8, and 7. Left them shaking and terrified for their life. California, Los Angeles, pro-Palestinian demonstrators hoped, hoped, hopped out of their vehicles, passing a Beverly Grove restaurant on Tuesday, and began singling out and attacking Jewish diners in a violent brawl. I saw the wow. video. I saw the video of that. Shows members of a car caravan flying Palestinian flags while driving by a sushi restaurant outdoor and reportedly chanting "Death to the Jews." Uh, in Illinois, a synagogue. In Skokie was vandalized Sunday in what was being investigated as a hate crime. Congregants found a free Palestine poster on the door of the Persian Hebrew congregation, along with a broken window and unidentified object that resembled a weapon. Two more. In Utah, a Kabad community center synagogue in Salt Lake City was vandalized with a swastika drawn on the front door over the weekend. And in Arizona, another Tucson synagogue was vandalized just days after it reopened its doors which have been shuttered since the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic. So this is exactly how it started with the Jews in Germany. People began to single them out and just be abusive to them. No laws against them, nobody arresting them, just being abusive, hatred, open vitriol. And Greg, it happened fast. After that, it just really escalated to the point where they're arresting them, putting them in trains, taking them somewhere and gassing them to death and burning them in ovens. It happened so quick. This is starting all over again if we don't wake up and do something. And again, it's the spirit of Antichrist. It's the spirit of Satan. And because we are rejecting God and pushing him further out in our nation and around the world, we're seeing the enemy move in and fill that void. And the very same thing, he hates the Jews, he hates Christians, and it's demonic. Yeah. All right, let's get into the smorgasbord of yuck that we know as pestilence, plagues, disasters, and corruption. Yeah. This is from Breitbart.com. Most of California suddenly in an, quote, extreme drought. Yeah, this is interesting in a number of uh, ways here. Let me read some of this. Most of the state of California is suddenly in extreme drought as the snow melt from winter storms has melted without reaching the state's reservoirs. Much of it is uh, seeped into dry soils or simply evaporated, said the Sacramento Bee. And I quote, the miserly output from the Sierra Nevada helps explain why the U.S. Drought Monitor, a weekly hydrological analysis by the federal government, shows 93% of California in either severe, extreme, or exceptional drought. A month ago, only about two-thirds of the state was facing those conditions. Many farmers in the Sacramento Valley have been getting uh, uh, counting on 5% allocation this year from the federal government's Central Valley Project, on Wednesday, the Bureau of Reclamation put the meager shipment on hold, explaining the melting snow wasn't contributing much to the reservoirs. The announcement was particularly bad news for the Sacramento Valley rice farmers who produce, get this, 97% of the state's rice crop. Although many Valley farmers have special contractual rights that will give them enhanced deliveries from the Central Valley Project, Every grower is facing a minimum of 25% reduction, said Jim Morris, spokesman for the California Rice Commission. Now, let me go beyond rice, and let me just say this. Um, California produces a lot of fruit and vegetables and rice and produce, not only for California, but for all over the the United States. And was it you that sent me the article? Mm -mm. Okay, I got an article just this week. They also send these products around the world. And so this goes in line, Greg, with, again, droughts in the last days. Remember, one of the signs that Jesus said we're going to see in the last days is an increase in famine. Droughts lead to famine. And so when we're seeing, of course, the famine around the world where you always see it getting worse, now we're seeing famine or seeing drought in America that traditionally, except for occasional times throughout our history, has been a major producer of produce for our nation and around the world. It's getting really dangerous here, which means it not only affects us in America, but and we're not as much in danger of true famine at this point anyway, as the impact it will have on other nations that are already so much on that kind of teeter-totter thing, where if they don't get the produce that we can send them, now they go more into famine and more of the end times things the Bible talks about happening through the droughts that are happening here. Yeah. 
Uh, well, this next article, Pastor Mark, kind of dovetails into this whole thing. This is from foxnews.com, where the water crisis couldn't be worse on the Oregon-California border. Yeah, it says Oregon's Klamath County has experienced driest year in 127 years. The water crisis along the California-Oregon border went from dire to catastrophic this week as federal regulators shut off irrigation water to farmers from a critical reservoir said that, um, and said they would not send extra water to dying salmon downstream. Or to have dozen wildlife refugees wow. and harbor millions of migrating birds each year. So the birds, the salmon, the fish supply, we're talking about, again, you're looking, again, at famine-type things. In what is shaping up to be the worst water crisis in generations, the U.S. Bureau, US Bureau of, Re- of Reclamation said it will not release the water. And we talked about that uh, it, this season into the main canal that feeds the bulk of the Klamath Reclamation Project. So it's, it's affecting more than just one area, marking the first for a 114-year-old irrigation system. The agency announced last month that hundreds of irrigators would get dramatically less water than usual, but a worsening drought picture means water will be completely shut off instead. The entire region is in extreme or exceptional drought, according to federal monitoring reports, and Oregon's Klamath County is experienced, again, the driest year in 127 years. So That affects watching, the whole ecosystem. Hey, not just yeah. California, moving into Oregon. And, again, it's interesting, the Bible talks about, we said famine in the last days, but, Greg, the Bible also says that Peoples that turn away from God, Mm -hmm. God will dry up their reins. Wow. And it's interesting to see the rebellion of California, the rebellion of Oregon against God as they're promoting anti-God agendas. Um, And I know that you you can't say that every one of these things that happen is a judgment of God. But I do believe we have to keep our eyes open to also say it could be indeed a chastisement from the Lord as well. Well, and it's just all part of Matthew 24. I mean, at the end of the day, Jesus said that all of these things would be happening and but the end is not yet. These are the beginning of sorrows. Right. Yeah, they they're they're definitely tied into the rejection of God. Yeah. But Jesus is saying, hey, listen, wholesale, all of these things are going to be happening. That's right. And and it, and it's all rooted back. It's to a that. chain reaction, domino effect. Yeah. And we see that in the Old Testament when there was famine or when there was a drought. Right. You know where the people looked to who they yeah. they looked to the pastor of the day. They looked to the prophet. Right. You know, to cry out to God on behalf of the people yeah. for for them, you know, for God to send the rains right. or or to withhold the rain as a way to show that God is in control. Yeah. I mean, it goes both ways. Yes. Either way. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Our last article of the day. I love these. These are great. Uh, this is from CNN.com. Uh, UFOs in the Pentagon. How the government has handled reported sightings mysterious videos, and much, much more. Yeah, this whole UFO thing, we've been talking off and on for years about. We're going to be talking a lot more about it soon. I think June is the release, maybe, of these documents from the government. I think it's sometime in June, June or July. It's this summer. Uh, where more classified documents will be unclassified. And the reality is they're saying, look, there really are things we can't explain, and America leads the world in technology, so it's probably not somebody else doing this. Uh, Washington, for years, the U.S. government largely ignored reports of mysterious flying objects. Well, they didn't really totally, but other they said they were. Seen moving through restricted military airspace. But it's now slowly beginning to acknowledge that UFOs, which means unidentified flying objects, um, are real. What is a UFO, the article says? In short, a UFO is a flying object that looks or moves unlike any aircraft used by the U.S. or any foreign country. Basically, nothing that we know of on this planet. By their very nature, UFOs are shrouded in mystery, and there are still a lot more questions than answers about these unexplained incidents. There have been numerous UFO sightings in recent years, but the military has only recently verified a handful of those reported encounters. Last month, the Pentagon confirmed the authenticity of photos and video taken by Navy personnel in 2019 that appeared to show triangle-shaped objects blinking and moving through the clouds. I saw that video. Again, is it aliens? The U.S. government's acknowledgement of UFOs are real. Undoubtedly begs the question, are we alone? Now, I want to talk about this for a moment. Um, I've seen some of these they've released, Greg, that they verified. There's three specific videos the government says these are real that are truly supernatural. One is... Uh, you see these these um, really pyramid-shaped uh, objects flying above these Navy ships through the clouds, 
and just doing things that we can't do. I mean, there's it's something beyond man's ability. That's one. There's another one that shows one of these objects, again, that's hovering above the ocean, and a Navy ship is filming it, and they're, what is it? They don't, and it dives into the ocean just it's, for a long time, just boosh, and goes underwater. Um, then there's another one that is one of the clearest and coolest ones I've seen, where there, these jet fighters are following these multiple, there's more than one, but one main one that this guy zeroes in on for a while, that looks like one of these, um, um, it, it's turning, circling like one of these things. Remember as a kid, I had these metal things you held, and this little thing rolled at the top and rolled back down and rolled the top. Mm-hmm. I forget what they're called. Yeah. But there's, and, and there's other, other things you hold that kind of will spin up and down. And they spin sideways. Almost like a gyroscope. Thank you. Yeah, thing, it's, yeah, it's that kind of thing where they kind of balance themselves. Mm-hmm. It, it was one of those type things. Now, what are these things? Let me say this. I do believe you're going to see these verified as truly unidentified, something beyond mankind, etc. A lot of people are going to say we have visitors from other planets. We'll talk about this in the future, probably in more detail on the show. We may set aside a whole first segment for it because we've done it, but not in a long time. I do believe they're real, but they're not little green men from other planets. Um, I believe they're demonic. And I believe in the last days, God is allowing the demonic realm to manifest itself, to show, to deceive mankind. I think the Antichrist will use this. I think there's going to be a lot of different reasons and ways it's going to be used. Um, but again, it really fits even the definition of some of the angels when we see, especially the one that you could see that rotated like a wheel within the a wheel. Yeah, because the Bible describes cherubim having a wheel within yeah. a wheel. And the one that I saw, Greg, it was a wheel within a wheel. And so I think we're seeing uh, either Satan himself or some of the other demons. God's allowing them to manifest. Mankind is going to be deceived. And these true documents will be released. But it's not going to be beings from other planets. It's going to be demonic. In any of the videos that you have seen, yes, do you see any level of detail that would any distinguishing marks, anything that would make it look like a spacecraft of any type, you know, where where we could look at our own aircraft or any kind of foreign aircraft. Because what I'm noticing consistently is that for any of these videos that are taken, whether they're from land or from another aircraft or in the ocean, they can never get close enough to get the detail that's needed to kind of distinguish what this thing is. No, they're too fast. These things, when they get close, they right. take off. But I'm, but, but to your point of what they really are. Yeah. You know, and again, when we look at what happens in Job, you know, in order for them to do that, in order for them to manifest themselves, they've got to get permission to do that. Yeah. And they're probably told, yeah, but. You know, you got to keep your distance. Oh, yeah. They're not letting anybody get close enough. And this is one of the things that shows them so supernatural, Greg. They are so much faster, so far beyond our fastest jets. Yes. That it's, it's, there's, look, even if some other country had greater technology than we do, there's no way they can have that kind of leap in technology. And I think if they did, they would have taken over the world by now. I mean, this is, we're talking our jets on high speed, and they said, go, like our jets don't exist. And and what they were seeing in terms of speed was probably slow for them. Yeah, who knows? You know what I'm seeing? They slowed themselves down enough so we could, they could get a glimpse of them. But if they were going at full force, as God designed them. Yeah. Yeah, and, and just again for our listeners, the reason I don't believe these are from other planets, again, I, I do believe there's a biblical foundation for it not being and really can't be. Remember, the Bible says that Jesus died once for the sins of the world, once for the sins of mankind on this planet. And yet the Bible declares that all of God's creation has sinned, all, all of his creation as far as thinking, soul, spirit, mind have sinned. So that would mean that other planets would have people on them if, if he created that and they would be sinners. But the Bible clearly declares he only died for the sins of this world. It's it's singular to this world. So what that means is he would not have died for all the other planets, and everyone else that he created would be automatically condemned because all have sinned. So because of that, I do not believe it's possible that these are other beings from other planets, although that's fanciful and exciting for Hollywood and movies and a kid looking up at the stars. The reality is this is the only planet that the Bible says has actual beings on it with body soul spirit that he died for for their sins 
And so because of that, I believe it has to be demonic. And I think we're going to see more of this type of demonic manifestation and deception with signs and wonders in the last days through the Antichrist and other means. Well, hopefully we will, in a future broadcast, we'll go into the whole UFO thing more in depth biblically. And also what we were talking about before the show, talking more about the days of Noah in depth as well. Because we are in the days of Noah. TheWayMedia.net, click on Signs of the Times, and you'll get everything from our program, including the ability to ask Pastor Mark a prophecy question. We always invite that, and we invite you to join us next Friday for more Signs of the Times, right here on WIAM. that sound trite or forced or untrue? It's not. Before you made the choice to follow him, God gave you everything you need to live. Every morning, you are blessed with a sunrise, air, and water. No matter where you stand with Jesus, God has blessed you, but he's willing to share even more. For some, the blessing improves here. WIAM 101.1 FM, The Way.